In the public health sphere, many moral reformers and health officials said and declared that Chinese women were the biggest source of disease, and so Senator Cornelius Cole stated that Chinese women spread disease and moral death among our white population. They're like the source of disease, essentially. The views expressed by speakers in this episode are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Asian Plus podcast or the entities the speakers are associated with. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Asian Plus podcast. My name is Chang Ling, and I will be your host for today to discuss the temporary and historical effects of anti-Asian hate, the health effects of racial discrimination, and provisions and limitations of the new COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, S-937, that passed to address the AAPI hate crimes. I'm here today with my co-host, Ellie, who is a PhD student at the Rockefeller University. Hi, everyone. And so, Ellie, when it comes to the COVID-19 pandemic, we know that it's been going on for a while, but I also heard of something called a new pandemic of racism. and. With that, there were so many news and headlines on how Asian elders and women were attacked. Have you heard any stories or do you share any experiences, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, absolutely. I think with the, with the pandemic, I think a, a couple politicians framed it as like we are also facing a different kind of pandemic that is, that is also health-related, which is... Um, a very huge wave of anti-Asian discrimination and hatred. And so definitely I've also heard the same thing. And I think because both of us live in New York City, I feel like we are definitely even more aware of these really upsetting headlines where, you know, an Asian um, individual was attacked in Times Square or one that was attacked on the street while walking home from the grocery store. These very scary events are definitely in the news, but I think also I, I definitely have friends and I also have experienced myself where, um, for example, one of my friends, like an egg roll was thrown at her by a complete stranger. Um, I know another one of my friends that lives in San Francisco, like some guy on the subway like urinated on her. These are very real examples. Um, what about you? Have you experienced anything personally? Thankfully, like I have not experienced any Asian hate or violence personally, but I have heard of many friends, like one of my friends, he was just walking down our streets and this man, he didn't even know, but like he just passed him and then he was like, I'm gonna shoot you. That's scary. Yeah, when I heard it, I was really terrified for him. How old was your friend? If you don't mind me asking. Just like a year older than me, so he's only like 18. Wow. Yeah. So it's not just elders, right? It's like almost really any demographic or really any age within the Asian community, right? Yeah. That's scary. So I think like we know with COVID-19, there's this very recent wave of anti-Asian hate, but this is not new, right? I think anti-Asian hate can be traced back um, pretty far. What do you know about the historical origins of anti-Asian hate? So I know that like the very first major wave of Asian immigration to the United States, it happened with the California gold rush, mm-hmm. where like this news of gold brought together hundreds and thousands of people from across the nation and even across the world. So many Chinese immigrants, they like viewed this as an opportunity to um, 
make more fortunes. So yeah, it's like it's like an economic opportunity, right? Yeah, and so when they first came here, um, they were actually just seen as a means of cheap labor, because they were willing to do work for a significantly lower price than their, let's say, Irish immigrants counterparts. For example, um, the Chinese miners were only paid thirty dollars monthly at that time, which is actually equivalent to nine hundred eighty-two dollars today, and it does not account for food and board. But their Irish workers were paid thirty-five dollars monthly, which is equivalent to one thousand one hundred forty-six dollars today, and includes housing. And these are the wages they received when working for the transcontinental railroads. Wow, so that's a pretty big gap. I mean, that's like three hundred dollars, right, um, per month. And this is during the eighteen fifties, right? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so, like, since they were sought out as a means of cheap labor, though, isn't it a good thing that they were here? I mean, were were they received well? I mean, if they're working for cheap labor, I'm sure that employers must have seen that as a as something more valuable or advantageous, right? Yeah, you would think that, but actually, what happened was, fast forward like twenty years, in the eighteen seventies, the U.S. economy hit like. A, like a recession, kind of. Yeah, and so a lot of the European immigrants actually started competing with the Chinese immigrants for jobs, and so with this competition came racial suspicion and hatred.、Um, the anti-Chinese sentiment actually reached a boiling point with a very famous Chinese massacre of 1871, when 18 Chinese men and boys were brutally murdered by a mob of 500 anti-Chinese rioters. And this happened in Los Angeles, California. Wow! And this was not even like a one-time thing. Fast forward another few years, in 1885, there was the Rock Springs massacre, which occurred in Rock Springs, Wyoming, where white miners expressed their frustration towards their Chinese competitors by robbing, bullying, stabbing, and shooting their Chinese miners. Jeez. And victims, they attempted to flee, but many were even burned alive in their own homes. They were starved to death or left to face wild animals in the forests. Wow, that's really scary. So I think this makes sense, right? Though, but like, because even though economically it may have been、um, good to have maybe like you know this cheap source of labor, but in the end, the fact that they worked for much less made it harder for their European counterparts to compete, right? Yeah. Jeez.、Um, so, this seems like a lot of the riots you brought up, though. It seems like a lot of social aspects, right?、Um, in the sense that there is this social dynamic, and so, what about like from a political or more policy angle? I mean. Did something like you know all of this hatred towards、um, Asians perhaps lead to something in the legislature? Yeah. So actually, you would hope that the government might have done something to address this and to help the Chinese immigrants. But in reality, there was the Chinese Exclusion Act of eighteen eighty two, which was a ten year ban on immigration of Chinese laborers because they. Disrupt the good order of the localities. Let's dive into the Chinese Exclusion Act a little bit deeper with PBS. 
Chinese Exclusion Act forbid Chinese to immigrate to the United States, and those who were here were not allowed to become citizens. Chinese, they are so different. They're taking our jobs. They cannot become Americans. There was no immigration policy before the Chinese came. So if you ask an American citizen, "Hey, when was it determined that if you're born here, you're an American?" they would have just said, "What do you mean? That's the oxygen we breathe. That must have been part of the Constitution." No. In 1898, it was decided that all persons born in the United States are United States citizens, no matter what. The Chinese Exclusion Act was blatantly unconstitutional. So immigrants who wanted to enter but did not even intend on working as like a miner or being a laborer in general, they were required to obtain certification from the Chinese government to prove that they were qualified to immigrate. But it was actually really difficult to do so because a laborer was defined as skilled and unskilled laborers and Chinese employed in mining. It was difficult to prove their identities, so the certification was actually difficult to obtain. And this was in 1882, you said, right? And it was a 10-year ban. What happened after 10 years? After 10 years, this、um, exclusion act got renewed for another 10 years. Under the Geary Act, which meant that in 1902 it would have ended, but it was renewed indefinitely after that. Wow, that's wild. I think, especially if we think about immigration reform today, which is a really hot topic in the in the political sphere,、um, the Chinese exclusion ban definitely rings as one of those、um, very monumental policies that happened so long ago to keep out. Um, Chinese immigrants. Yeah, and it wasn't just Chinese immigrants who faced all this hate. There were actually many other Asian immigrants in general, specifically East Asian immigrants, such as the Japanese immigrants, who also dealt with a lot of hate, and even on a legislative level. Wow. So I remember from my history classes for sure that. Um, the Gentlemen's Agreement was signed by President Theodore Teddy Roosevelt, and it was an agreement made with Japan in 1907, where the Japanese government agreed to bar labor migrations, while the U.S. government would permit the immigration of wives, children, and parents of existing residents, and accept the presence of existing Japanese immigrants. So, really, this piece of legislation stanched the flow of additional migrants from Japan, specifically. Yeah, so that was a lot of hate towards、um, Asian men, Asian male immigrants. Was there anything done towards Asian female immigrants? Like, what happened to them? Oh yeah, absolutely. So previously, we really discussed how Asian men、um, faced hostility from their Asian counterparts and the government because they competed for employment opportunities. Right, they were a source of cheap labor, which threatened the economic fortunes of their European、uh, counterparts. Um, but Asian women faced a very different kind of hostility. In fact, they were stereotyped as prostitutes and sex workers. In fact, there is this one representative from California named Horace Page, who ultimately proposed the Page Act in the 1970s,、um, and he declared that 90% of Chinese women in the United States are prostitutes. And so, the Page Act of 1875, which was named after him, prohibited the importation of Oriental. Contract laborers and women for lewd and immoral purposes, and those words I'm using in quotation marks.
And so in congressional debates regarding Chinese exclusion years later, Chinese women were declared as all prostitutes or concubines. There was really this huge sweeping blanket generalization on Asian women, specifically Chinese women. And in the public health sphere, many moral reformers and health officials said and declared that Chinese women were the biggest source of disease. And so Senator Cornelius Cole stated that Chinese women spread disease and moral death among our white population. They're like the source of the source of disease, essentially. And so with the Page Act of 1875, the ratio of Chinese male to female immigrants really soared from 13 to 1 to 21 to 1 in the end. And so those who tried to enter were subjected to like the, the same interrogations numerous times to prove their identities. And this ultimately illustrated their mistrust for Chinese women, which really permeated through um, the social hierarchy, the social structure at the time, and the economic infrastructure as well. And so really the fetishization of Asian women also began in the 19th century when all Chinese women were perceived as temptations to white, to white males, um, which ultimately drove the passage of the Page Act in 1875. There was also the fetishization of Asian women beyond the political aspect. And there was a mass inclusion of Asian female characters in plays, such as a very famous one, two very famous plays, actually. First of all, it was The Good Woman of Szechuan in the 1880s, and then Madame Butterfly in 1904. And I personally found this to be very ironic how Asian women were criticized and they were seen as prostitutes and banned for being prostitutes in quotations, because most of them really weren't, how like they banned the Asian women, yet they decided to make plays and feature Asian female characters in plays. I personally found that very ironic, mm-hmm. and I was personally really disgusted when I found out about these turn of events. Going back to the plays, these plays portrayed Asian women as individuals who like loved their white male characters so much that she's willing to die for them. It's very extreme, by the way. Yeah, and this whole entire idea became super popular where you have like a white dominant male and an Asian submissive female. So the wide circulation of these plays and ideas it lasted almost a whole century and it continues to thrive today. And so with the media portrayal came the Lotus Blossom stereotype where Asian women are seen as submissive and feminine and therefore desired by and fetishized by their white male counterparts. I see where the irony really comes in here because if they're desired and fetishized, why are they also perceived as prostitutes and sources and. of disease um, that will lead to the death of the white population? You know, it's, it's very, very strange. Um, but also, I know in addition to these plays, there is this pretty famous um, musical um, in 1989 called Miss Saigon, and it's inspired by Madame But Butterfly, uh, like you mentioned earlier, and it really takes place during the Vietnam War. Yeah, and so here will be an audio snippet from the overture of Miss Saigon, the musical. It's this war-torn love story about an American soldier named Chris who falls in love with a Vietnamese prostitute named Kim in Vietnam while he's, while he's there. And so Kim in this musical is portrayed as pure and innocent despite her occupation and is in need of Chris's protection from the cruel world of Saigon. That's really the, the setup of this musical. 
And so during this, over the course of the play, she remains completely faithful towards Chris, despite the fact that he abandoned her and their son in Vietnam to marry an American woman. And so this suggested really that the proper place for an Asian woman is to be subservient towards a white male. And so the female lead here is really the epitome of the Lotus Blossom stereotype, someone, specifically an Asian woman, who is innocent, submissive, frail, unable to care for herself, and whose life is really defined by her love for the white male protagonist. And so interestingly, but not surprisingly, I suppose, all the Vietnamese women, uh, women in the musical are portrayed as prostitutes, which really feeds into the existing stereotypes that we talked about and the hypersexualization of Asian women. And so really what we see here over the course of history is that anti-Asian started as worker competition, right, between, um, at least in the male uh, sphere, but then Asian women really face this very different kind of backlash when they immigrated, which really focuses on their fetishization and hypersexualization in the end. That will be a wrap on our first episode in our anti-Asian hate series. So stay tuned for our next episode where we discuss the contemporary rise in anti-Asian hate. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions and comments or if you would like to be a guest speaker in our future episodes, please feel free to email us at asianplus.podcast at gmail.com. That is Asian P-L-U-S dot podcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Asian Plus Podcast to hear more about our future updates. Thank you for supporting us.